You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Hello, and welcome to Bicycle Retail Radio, hosted by the National Bike Dealers Association. I am Kat Andrus, and I'm this week's guest host. I'm the youth program manager at People for Bikes, and I'm leading the charge for the Youth Cycling Coalition. The YCC brings together 10 bicycling nonprofits taking collective action to provide all kids with the tools they need to develop a lifelong love of bicycling, ultimately integrating bicycling into the fabric of local communities. For this episode, I will be speaking with Andre Sanders. And Andre, would you introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Andre Sanders, and I am the executive director of Trips for Kids Metro New York, and also aka the Bike Whisperer, because I teach a lot of people how to ride bikes. I live in New York City, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I love it. Thanks for being willing to talk with me today. I did a little background research on you and Google stalked you a little bit, and I am so excited to talk to you because of all of your experience and all of your accomplishments kind of across the wide spectrum of improving the cycling community in general. So the first thing I really want to know, and I think I know why you're called the Bike Whisperer, but can you tell me the story of how you got this nickname as the Bike Whisperer? Because it's such a cool nickname. So I had been working with a client. She was a night nurse and was having a really difficult time. And she was engaged. And her wedding gift to her husband-to-be was they wanted to go riding on their honeymoon. And so we were working together to teach her how to ride a bike. And it took me a long time for us working together to sort of figure out what I needed to say to her and where we needed to work and what sort of analogies were needed to help her figure out how to ride a bike. And after a couple of lessons, it all came together and she learned how to glide and then she learned how to ride. And then she was so excited. She called her fiance to say that I finally learned how to ride. My teacher, she's amazing. She's a bike whisperer. And I heard that and I said, oh my God, I adopted it. I loved it. And they have dog whispers and horse whispers. And at that time that show, the dog whisperer was really popular. So I had a friend of mine design some business cards for me with the Bike Whisper NYC on it. And I just loved it. And it really captures my essence of when I teach. Mm-hmm. That's another question I have about your method, because it sounds to me, to my uneducated perspective on this, it sounds really similar to what's happening now with teaching kids to ride with the balance bikes? Because I know you have this balance method. Can you talk more about that? And is that similar to the balance bike concept? It is because everything on cycling, it's all about balance and vision. Mm-hmm. And the balance bike will eventually put me out of work if they could take off. So yeah, the balance method is an amazing method because cycling is all about vision and balance. And mm-hmm. to find your balance, it's like a switch in your brain that you turn on. And they say, once you learn how to ride a bike, you never forget. It's really true. But finding that button in your brain takes experiential experience. And so you put them on a balance bike. You make the regular bike into a balance bike by taking the pedals off. And then you work with them first with teaching them how to walk the bike Mm -hmm. and then how to glide the bike. And once they can glide 20 to 30 yards, then we can proceed. But it's finding that area in your brain where you're comfortable and you can go forward. And it's quite a process. Finding that balance button is the hardest process of the whole experience of teaching. And what are people's reactions when you say, okay, yeah, here's the bike. Now I'm just going to take the pedals off. I mean, are they like, 
what? We need the pedals to ride the bike for our people. They do. They're like, yes, they find it very funny. And kids particularly are like, when do I get my pedals on? When do I get my pedals on? I can't ride a bike without pedals. And I keep breaking it down into less and less simpler tasks Mm -hmm. of let's first glide this amount of space. And then once we can glide, and then I put them on like a little hill, and then they can glide down that hill, and then they can go in a straight line, and then they learn how to counterbalance. And then I will put on one pedal to teach them how to start and stop. There's nothing scarier than getting on a bike and with both pedals and sending them off and they don't know how to stop. They're going to run right into a gate or they're going to fall over. And one of my goals is that no one gets hurt (laughs) when you are teaching them how to ride a bike. Well, yeah, because there's already so many psychological barriers, at least. Okay, so I have a fair amount of experience teaching kids how to ride. I don't have experience teaching adults how to ride like you do. But there are so many psychological barriers from my experience. Like, for example, people will focus on something they don't want to hit. And what do they do? They ride straight in. (laughs) Yeah, because the bike follows your eyes. Yeah, Yeah, so it's wherever you're looking. So I guess I was just wondering how you feel about that. I mean, would you say that getting your balance is the biggest barrier for adults learning to ride or is it more psychological or are those tied together? They're tied together, but biking is a head game. It's really about trusting this foreign vehicle that's now Mm -hmm. between your legs, right? So it's not natural for us to be propelled through space when it's not on our own two feet. Our brain says there's something wrong here. There is Mm -hmm. danger and I have to protect myself. I talk a lot about the brain when I work with my clients, both adults and children, because it has a lot to do with your involuntary reactions. We all have something in our brain called an amygdala. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not trained in neurology or studied it professionally, but this is sort of my layman's interpretation of how the brain works. And your amygdala is your fight or flight part of the brain, right? So when you're being propelled through space or the concept of being propelled through space when it's not in the power of your own two feet, your amygdala says, hey, there's something wrong here. I don't mm-hmm. like this. I'm going to protect you. And all of a sudden, your shoulders and your haunches go up and your arms tighten up and you go in to like protect yourself into a ball, right? This happens involuntarily. It's just your body's primitive way of protecting itself. But luckily, we have a front part of our brain, which is our frontal cortex, and that releases a chemical called endorphins. And when we know what we're doing and we know where we are and we're perfectly present and grounded, we're in control. So mm-hmm. we're able to override and sort of persuade the amygdala to sort of like calm down. We got this covered. And when we talk it out and we talk out loud and verbally, we override that inner voice in us, always that nagging little voice that tells us, no, you can't do this. This isn't safer. Right. But if we talk out loud, that overpowers it. And so my clients that have a really strong amygdala and have a very nervous nature, I'll have them talk out loud and literally speak through every step that we're taking to help them work through the process. And it allows them to be 100 percent present, because when we think inside of our head, you're not present. You're not well grounded. And to ride a bike, you have to be well grounded. Mm -hmm. The bike's a tool. It's very magical. When you sit on a bike, right? If you sit just right on that bike with your head over your shoulders, over your hips, and your weight goes down the bike stem to the bottom bracket, wherever your head turns, that bike is going to follow it because you're (laughs) communicating with that bike. The bike wants to be your legs Mm -hmm. and the bike wants you to be its eyes. So it's this symbiotic 
relationship that you now have with this inanimate object. Yeah. So do you explain it that way to people? Like this bike is no longer a separate thing. This is an extension of your body at this point. I do. They You want to become one. You're working in a partnership. You're a team. And I do talk to it like that. And you, I want them to like the bike. I want them to be familiar with the bike. When they first get on the bike, they're rigid and they're afraid of the bike. They're like, I don't know what this thing's going to do. I don't trust it. Mm-hmm. And so you build the trust. And that's why you start with the pedals off, with the gliding, so that they can feel comfortable and they're in control. They don't like it. They put their hands on their brakes. They put their feet down. They're in control. They're going, you know, like we walk at about two to three miles an hour. When we are riding our bikes, just gliding it, we do about three to five miles an hour. And then when we start to pedal, it can be six to eight miles an hour. And then faster, of Mm -hmm. course. I talk all about you have your fingers on your brakes at all times. You always pull softly and equally on the brakes if you want to slow down. You can put your feet on the ground. And so I talk them through all of their unknown areas and that they're not sure about. Right. And I want to go back a little bit because I think it's so unique. And like I said, in my experience with teaching kids to ride, and I think that for a lot of people who are probably listening to this show, it's a common thing to learn how to ride when you're a kid. I know that's not the case for a lot of people, but how did you get started teaching adults to ride? Or was there a story behind that? What inspired you to do that? Like, did you have a difficult journey yourself learning to ride? Tell us more about that. So like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm the executive director of Trips for Kids Metro New York, which is a nonprofit organization that gives a transformative cycling experience to youth. And I run a lot of open rides. I'll do these open events and then I'll do closed events where I'll have 10 to 12 kids come and ride on the rides. And inevitably, people would show up that didn't know how to ride. So I started teaching children how to ride get them acclimated to potentially ride on the trail. But when you ride mountain, a brand new novice rider, it's pretty challenging for them to do. But I got the knack of teaching how to ride. And then I had a counselor show up and she didn't know how to ride either. And I started working with her to get started at this event. I was producing an open event with Bicycle Habitat for Take a Kid Mountain Biking Day Mm -hmm. back a couple of years ago. And I was teaching this person, this adult how to ride and the marketing person at Habitat saw me and that and said, oh, do you want to run my bike program at Habitat and teach people how to ride? And I was like, sure, it's really, really fun. (laughs) And so I started teaching adults. I was just sort of doing it. Someone saw me and then it expanded to adults and I started teaching adults, which is really fun. Teaching anybody is really fun, but adults particularly are a lot of fun because they seem to have a bigger psychological barrier Mm -hmm than children Mm -hmm. do. And they have a lot more to risk. If you're a professional, you're 30 years old and you're a professional, you don't want to go to work with a skinned knee. You don't want to hurt your elbow, you know, so you're a little bit more cautious and they understand analogies better because I do a lot of talking. I get to know my clients of, you know, what do they like to do? Are they athletic? Are they not athletic? Do they enjoy the outdoors? What is their purpose of learning to ride a bike? Is it to commute? Is it for exercise? Is it for community? Is it for socialization? And all of that information really helps me teach them and make the analogies that help them understand the vision and the process. Yeah, I want to talk more about the differences and similarities between teaching adults versus teaching kids. Do you find that kids are less fearful than adults? I would suspect that kids would be less fearful than adults, but maybe that's actually not an advantage. Maybe that means they get more hurt. I don't know. You know, I find teaching such an individual 
action because but since we're working one-on-one everybody is so different no two clients have ever been the same and when i've tried to like generalize my teaching Mm -hmm. i haven't been as successful it's really about who that person is in the core you know are they a fearful person are they adventurous person are they a know-it-all person are they Mm -hmm. a trusting person all of these different aspects of personality really come out and each one has its benefits and its challenges. And so how do you get to know someone well enough to hone in on their personality to the degree you need in order to be able to individualize your teaching? I and mean, that's fascinating to me. That makes sense because I've been a teacher, like a classroom teacher. And so I know all about identifying who's the leader in the room and breaking down the different little personalities so you can make the group work together as well as possible. But I would imagine for your work, you kind of have to do that really quickly, right? Like you don't have an entire year with them necessarily. (laughs) No, I usually have one or two lessons. I really, yeah. yeah. We have a five minute walk from where I meet them down to where I teach. If it's children, I talk to the parents about them first. Tell me what type of child they are, what kind of learner they are. Are they aesthetic learners? Are they verbal learners? Are they audio learners? What are their challenges? Are they excited about learning? Are they know it all about learning? I mean, a lot of kids know everything we're going to teach them already. So they say, <laughs> even though they don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it too. I already know that. I knew yeah. that. Oh, of oh, yeah. course that. Everybody knows that. Yeah. You know, that's the normal outcome. A lot of the kids are that way. And then you work with them. With kids, I make a lot of visual analogies. I talk about being the king of a kingdom, being a pilot of a plane, being the driver of the car, of the vehicle. They get to be the leader here. That's all up to them. I talk about control and never in their life, they don't get to control when they get to eat. They don't get to control when they go to bed, go to school. But when they're on a bicycle, they're in total control because they get to control when they start, where they start, where Mm -hmm. they go, how fast Mm -hmm. they go there when they want to stop, how long they want to go, they have the power of that. And so I talk a lot to them about that and I empower them to be the leaders and they'll show me how to teach what I just taught them back to me. And so it's a game that I play with them. And with adults, it's sort of very similar where I empower the adult to be able to do it. But with kids, I find kids more challenging. because You know, when I make analogies, when I talk about the brain, when I talk about the body, I do a little bit of the Alexander technique when I talk about When we sit on a bike, the lower back, the small of our back, it's like we have a communication center back there because Mm. when you sit on that bike just right, it can read your mind. But if your energy is up high in your shoulders, the bike can't hear you anymore. So it has to be low and it has to be in that communication center. Wow. And it's funny. I used to put my hand over my mouth when I was teaching. It's like the bike can't hear you and I would put my hand over my mouth. But when I start again, I'll be teaching with a mask on. It's kind of funny. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, um, do you have plans to start that up again soon? Or you I do, because I think COVID-19, I live in New York City where public transportation, I won't get on public transportation right now. It's unsafe. There's too many unknown variables. And so I think cycling is the answer to that. And I want to teach as many people as I can to ride responsibly, to ride smartly and to ride confidently, child and adult, so that they can commute, they can go to school by bike, and they can get to work by bike. In New York City, we have over 1,100 miles of bike path, and de Blasio is gonna be adding more and more protected. And the more the infrastructure is built, the better the education is out there, 
the safer it's going to be for the cyclist and it's better for everyone. It's going to be less exposure around people you don't know. It's good for the heart. It's good for the environment. It's good for the dealers. You know, I mean, potentially it's going to change the face of the world. What the world would look like after COVID-19 is going to look very different across the world. And I hope and I would expect that your business is going to be booming because I know in Colorado, I've seen people getting on bikes for the first time in 10 years or the first time ever. And that is really happening. So I would guess that you're going to be well positioned to to help people transition into whatever this is. I've started scheduling clients that want to start back to ride. I'm not doing fresh learn to ride because I have to get too close to them at the moment. People who want to relearn how to ride, if they already have that balanced foundation, I can teach it six feet apart and still be safe. I also have them fill out a pretty thorough questionnaire about their exposure. They have to wear masks and gloves. I'll sterilize the bike. And it's one-on-one. It's not a big group. And I work in a pretty secluded area down in Riverside Park. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by MBDA membership and industry donors. To continue providing education and content like the podcast you're listening to now, we need your support. Go to mbda.com and join or donate today. I want to transition into talking about your work with Trips for Kids because of all the accomplishments I was reading about when I was Google stalking you. So is it accurate that you came to lead Trips for Kids New York City back in 2006? Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. In 2001, my husband and I discovered Trips for Kids and started volunteering for it. We loved it. We had a two-year-old that we liked to go riding with, and he, we would pull him on a chariot behind us. And <laughs> we were looking for other families to go mountain biking with their kids. And we saw, oh, Trips for Kids, how cool is that? And it turned out to be this nonprofit volunteer organization that gave transformative cycling experiences to youth that wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity. And we're like, cool. Then I fell in love with it. And in 2006, the executive director at the time, Janine Tromba, realized that it was just a bit more than she wanted to take on. Mm -hmm. And so she asked me if I would be willing to take it on. And at the time, I had just had my second child. And it was the perfect transition to focus on you know, I could stay at home, raise my kids, and run this nonprofit, go cycling every weekend. What could be better? And at the time, I didn't realize that it would grow into what it is today, which is I have five programs. Cycling is my life. And I'm an LCI through the League of American Cyclists, Bicyclists. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to be teaching to sort of add to the safety of riders through a bike shop. I'm going to be offering savvy cyclist classes and commuter classes. and how to bike safer in the city and work Mm -hmm. with bike shops and offer my lessons through them. I never knew that biking would be such a big thing in my life. And trips for kids is amazing because have you ever gone mountain biking, Kat? Yeah. So I lived in Memphis, Tennessee before I moved to Colorado four years ago. And so I thought that I was mountain biking and I guess I kind of was because I was riding on trails, you know, and it was in the trees and everything. And then I moved to Colorado and I tried to mountain bike and I was terrified. So I haven't mountain biked that much in Colorado because the trails here are just so real. And I have maybe some of those psychological barriers to riding on trails like that that we were talking about. 
but a little bit here and there. I'd like to do a lot more of it. So you understand that when you're a mountain biking, you have to be mind and body 100% present. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 100% totally... present. Yeah. When you do road riding or pleasure riding or trail riding on a straight trail, like a rails to trail, you're present, but not in the same way that you're present on a mountain bike. When you're mountain biking, you have to be 100% present because things are constantly changing. Mm -hmm. Every pedal stroke, every turn that you take, you don't know what's going to be next. Is it mm -hmm. going to be roots? And you can take the same trail every day, 365 days a year, and every day that exact same trail will be different. There'll be a different rock in a place. It'll be a wet route, depending on what the weather is, what the wind is. You can ride the same trail and it's always different and you never know what's going to be in front of you. So you have to be 100% present. And that's what I absolutely love most about mountain biking. Because when you get off that bike, you're exhausted, you're happy, you're mm -hmm. challenged, you're amazed that you accomplished what you accomplished. Mm -hmm. You do things that you would never think you would do. You, you know, all of a sudden, I'll present to my kids. I work in a park in New York City. There's three trails in New York City, but it's the largest one. It's 10 miles in Cunningham Park in Queens. And it's a very technical trail. So there's a lot of turns, a lot of roots, a lot of rock, and man-made obstacles that you have to go over. Like if a tree falls down, instead of cutting the hole in a tree for the trail, we'll build it up to make it a rollover. Oh, wow, cool. So that the kids, you look at it, you walk up to it, and there's this up to your knee, so it's like two feet high. The kids are like, oh my God, I can't do that. <laughs> and then they do. We sit yeah. down, we get off the bike, we take a look at it, we talk about lines, we talk about vision, we talk mm -hmm. about equal pressure level pedals, we talk about you know momentum, and then we spot them as they go over it. And so they look at these things that they would never think they could do, and yet they get it done, and you literally overcome obstacles. And that's a really transferable lesson mm -hmm. that is brilliant because you can take that same chutzpah, that same vision, take that situation apart to rebuild how best to handle it, can go from, from the bike trail to your classroom, to your difficult home situation, to mm -hmm. a, a fight with your best friend, to anything, to a job interview. You can really transfer those obstacles and how you approach them and how you can see your future because you're always looking forward. So that's Absolutely. what I love about trips for kids and my parts in it. And I got addicted to it. Sounds like you definitely did. I mean, you've been there for over a decade now, right? It also is making me think when you were talking about lines and trajectory and equal pressure on pedals. I mean, you're teaching science too. Do you feel like? Yes, I teach science, physics, math. Yeah. environmental studies. When we get a group of kids, we start off, we go over the bike, we talk about the gearing, the ratios. When we evaluate the obstacles, we talk about the lines, we talk about the momentum. So it is science. And we try to bring some STEM in it. I'm not a trained teacher and I don't work on a specific curriculum, mm -hmm. but in these three to four hour adventures, when we work with the kids, we talk about how Long Island was formed from a glacier and have glacial moraines. We talk about it being a secondary forest in the Queens that we work in this. You know, Cunningham Park is the fifth largest park in New York City. And the area that we work in, some of it's really scrappy, all invasive plants and vines everywhere. So we talk about invasives. We talk about poison ivy. We identify plants. If I'm lucky enough that the kids get to ride more than once with us, we can have them teach the newer riders 
some of the things that they learned on the ride prior. So they get to be leaders. And so we teach them to be mentors. And then with my most advanced program, the New York Cranks, those are my most advanced riders. And we actually have a race team through NICA, New York. And as that team has developed, those riders now run and are mentors to newer riders. I used to do these beautiful public events. I have a fleet of 50 bikes and I'd bring the bikes out to the park and I'd invite families to come and I would teach them how to ride. I had partnered with Cliff who had donated a manual pump track, a wooden pump track that I would put out in the field. And so we would teach new riders how to stand on their pedals to keep equal pressure level pedals when they went over obstacles and how to glide. We would teach them how to shift. We would teach them how to have equal pressure on the brakes. And we would teach them about the vision of always looking forward. And when you're about to go to an obstacle, you never want to look at the obstacle. Like you talked about earlier, you said, if you go, I don't want to hit that person. What do you do? Bam, <laughs> right into that person, right? <laughs> I once had a kid, so I used to teach kids how to ride a lot of times in tennis courts because it's a contained environment. The urban environment has some tennis courts. It's just, it made sense, right? And I had a kid once drive straight into the pole that held up the net three times in a row to the point she broke the shifter. And I eventually was just like, you don't learn in the tennis court anymore because there's no way you're going to not focus on that pole and run straight into it over and over again. So I could have used your expertise back then. I had one of my very first trips for kids rides. I had a kid like that and he hit every tree, every turn. I mean, it, it took us an hour to go two miles because he literally, we hit a go around the corner and said, I'm going to hit the tree. I'm going to hit the tree. <laughs> and he literally hit every single tree. But it's all about that vision and it's a teachable thing. So one way you do it is as you have an obstacle that they're going to go over, you stand on the opposite end. You talk about that line, you have them physically put the bike down and walk over the line that they're going to ride over and to get where they want to get to. And then you stand on the other side to help them keep their focus. And so we would do all of that. And I would have my New York crank kids, my most advanced riders, teach all of these new kids and adults at these open events that I would do, these Take a Kid Mountain Biking Days. I would do two a year. And it's amazing because to be able to empower youth with teaching Mm-hmm. Give some true empowerment because there's nothing harder than teaching. Nothing yeah. harder than teaching. <laughs> and it must feel so cool for them to be able to teach something to an adult, to someone's older than them. I mean, when you're a kid, age is so significant. And I think they must just feel so incredibly proud of themselves to be able to watch the progress that an older person has made because of their teaching. Yes, I 100% agree with that. One of our open programs is a family fun day, and I have a family ride club where within two rides, the kids are better than the parents, and they're (gasps) coaching the parents of what to do. It's amazing, and it's so much fun because the kids just get up much faster. Since you mentioned NICA, I wanted to ask you, I read that you started the first middle and high school mountain biking group in New York City. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, trips for kids, I have to say it was actually my husband who was also on my board. My son at the time was 13. My oldest and my husband went to a fat tire festival out on Blue Mountain. And they met the New York league director, Jason Cairo, right when I think Jason was in his second season. And in 2008, Eugene and I had attended a EMBA summit when the guys in California 
NorCal was going to bring it national. And we're like, oh, who's going to bring it to New York City? No way. No way New York State's going to happen. <laughs> Who would start the team in New York City? No one would do it. And so when all of a sudden we had this opportunity, and my son, we're still avid mountain bikers. So my son's like, dad, we got to do this. And so Eugene recruited four other riders and we had our first season. And then as it developed, we realized we had a kid who didn't have a bike. And here I was with Trips for Kids with a fleet of bikes. And it seemed the perfect fit to make a program under the Trips for Kids umbrella. And so we would do lessons and we would have practices. So then we started running our season year round for the more advanced riders. And then there was a great article. There was a reporter, I think it was our second season, that followed us around like the alien sport in New York City or something. But my husband is actually the one who brought brought it into the Trips for Kids family. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, these are huge accomplishments. I don't understand how you do all of those things at once and raise children, but it's incredible. You're awesome. I, I'm so impressed by everything that you continue to do there. It's really exciting. My thank um, you. We started talking about this a little bit more, but I wanted to talk about the relationship between bike shops and retailers and what you do, whether it's trips for kids, NICA, or teaching adults to ride. What kind of relationship do you have to retailers or bike shops? And then also, how would you recommend retailers themselves can get involved with if they want to get involved with trips for kids or NICA and or how can they get their customers involved? It's a really great opportunity. I have three amazing bike shops that support me and trips for kids, which is Bicycle Habitat, and mm -hmm. Peak Pro Shops helped build the trail out in Cunningham Park in Queens, and they're a huge supporter. And then a local shop a little bit closer to me called Innovation. And they help in different ways. I mean, they all give great discounts to all the kids who need bikes, and they help me. I've co-produced events with them. The Take mm -hmm. a Kid Mountain Biking Day, when we made it a big public event, the first time I did it that it got really large, I co-partnered with Bicycle Habitat and Gary Fisher came and he drew a huge crowd for it. And yeah. then the exposure allowed me to really sort of ride that wave and keep the big momentum going. And then I would mix it up with different bike shops. The next season, I did a lot with Peak because Peak is out in Queens. And then I would work with other bike shops as well, have mechanics there because it would give them exposure. They would come and they would set up a mechanic shop or they would set up a swag table or they would just co-sponsor with supporting with marketing for the events. And then Bicycle Habitat helped me. I approached them. My fleet of bike was getting old. And Charlie McCorkle wrote to Specialize. And in 2016, they got my whole fleet replaced by Specialize, which was brilliant and mm -hmm. so fabulous. So huge sponsor there. He donates stuff for raffles. They can always donate for raffles. And then you get marketing. So he's on my website. He's on all my jerseys and my T-shirts. And it, so it's this partnership. And the way that clients can get involved is they can volunteer for all of these organizations. Trips for Kids is always looking for passionate riders to help with the events. I try to do, and historically, I don't know what the future will look like. Historically, mm -hmm. I could get between three to 500 kids on bikes a year, particularly because of these large open rides that I would do, where in you know, four hours, I'd get 100, 150 people on bikes and get them on 20 minute to 30 minute tours. But the retailers are great because I'm a LCI as well mm -hmm. through the League of National Bicyclists. And if they want to promote education, then hire LCIs to teach for them. Right. It's this 
partnership of how different rates for different people, the business aspect you just would negotiate. But it's a great opportunity, this partnership to educate, because if we have education, then we can create the infrastructure to create the safe roads to ride in and then safe environments for people to ride in. Up in Colorado, in uh, Durango, I have a friend who goes to Fort Lewis and he lives in an apartment and he rides trail to college and back. So it's all, you know, so, I mean, if we build the infrastructure and look what the Waltons are doing in Arkansas, it's amazing. You know, Arkansas is now this mountain bike state. I think it's a 1500 mile trail that's going to connect around the state of Arkansas. Right. And the trails they have in Bennington are just incredible. So the opportunities are really there. And now is a time that marketing would really be amazing. And that partnership to bring education and cycling together to get more people on bikes because it's the future. Right. And bikes are having such a moment right now, even in the midst of everything that's going on. Who knows, like you said, what the future looks like for us and how long this will last. But bikes are having a huge moment right now, which is why I'm really hoping people will do what they can to get involved with programs like NICA and Trips for Kids and all the other programs in the Youth Cycling Coalition, of course. And I hope that retailers will see the benefit because it seems pretty clear that if we can keep these programs going and keep people like you working, then it'll be an obvious benefit to retailers because more people will be buying bikes. And then it'll be this beautiful feedback loop where, and then it'll be better for the environment and it'll be better for infrastructure and better for insurance and better for your health. And it is a win-win and the dominoes would fall in the right place. Absolutely. I love the partnership and the biking society. I've never met anybody get off a bike and be angry. You're always happy when you get off a bike. I mean, how many times was the last time you got off a bike and you weren't smiling? I mean, it hardly ever happens. And I would have to say the only time it really does happen is because of traffic with cars, car incidents. I'd have to say that, you know, there is the occasional angry driver, but there there is the occasional (laughs) angry driver. Yes. But in general, it makes you feel physically and mentally better. I find it very contagious. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I've gotten addicted to working with bikes. And I absolutely agree with you. Well, thank you and for I, taking the time to talk to us. Is there anything else you want to make sure and talk about before we get off the phone? Because I feel like I could talk to you forever, but it's been almost an hour. It's been almost an hour. Like I said, it wasn't going to be hard to fill up the time talking to me about <laughs> bikes. <laughs> um there's any websites or anything like that that you want to plug or anything that we've missed, I mean, feel free to throw that in there. Well, my main website is www.tripsforkids.nyc, and that has all my programs on it. And I'm always looking for volunteers. I hope to go back to doing social distant rides. I don't know what that will look like. Like I said, New York City will be the last to open up. But the virus is, if we're outside, it's possible that we could keep social distance. I don't know, but I'm hoping to go back probably in the fall. I don't really think the summer is realistic, but I'm hoping to be able to start producing rides in the fall. The NICA season hopefully will be taking off in the fall as well. But if you have questions or want to know how to get involved with the League of American Bicyclists or get involved with Trips for Kids, I'm happy to answer any questions. Being involved with Trips for Kids has been life altering for me and it's all for the better. Well, I'm hopeful that people will be Tromping at the bit to get out on bikes with safer to be outside and I have a feeling that your ridership and your volunteers will just be through the roof. And I hope the best for you with all of these amazing projects that you're working on. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time and, and researching me and giving me this opportunity, Kat. I'm really tickled pink and really honored. Oh, yeah. You're that. so cool. You're my new hero. I want to be just like you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to stay on a bike, babe. Yeah. One last thing I want to do is I want to increase women ridership because we don't have enough girls riding, particularly mountain bikes. Yeah. Are you familiar with Little Bellas? It's another group. I- you cycle. I am familiar with Little Bellas, yes. I talked to Sabra last week, actually, for this same podcast. Leah came last year to, we run a summer camp for NICA, and Leah Davis came and she brought her bronze medal, and it was very cool. We got to hang out with her. We went riding with her. We did an all-girls ride. She was very cool. The programming I've always taught has been for girls and boys, but that's always kind of been a special goal of mine as well is to increase uh, female ridership because just because of all the benefits that we see to getting a girl on a bike. It's really incredible. It is, particularly during pre-adolescence to get them through adolescence. It makes a big difference. Thanks everyone for listening. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio hosted by the National Bike Dealer Association. I am Kat Andrus and thank you for listening. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. Bicycle Retail Radio.